0: hello welcome to the skewer podcast the skewer is a live monthly news review satirizing the dumb news of the month that was through op-ed essays debates and more this edition was recorded at cafe mustache in chicago on wednesday september 6th 2017 enjoy hey everybody we're gonna get started in just a couple minutes Right now, I'm just testing the microphone to make sure it does not blow out my little recording device. It is not blowing out my recording device. That's perfect. So before we start, I just want to ask y'all, who uh, who likes playing games? Does anyone like games? Excellent, because we're going to intro the show with a delightful game hosted by a friend of the show, Kevin Johnson. Kevin, get up on the stage. Does this mic word properly, it does, that's good. Yeah, Kevin, what is this game? What's the point of the game? Uh,
1: the point of the game is to know fact from fiction. It's like two truths and a lie, except with news stories.
0: Could, could it, would it be accurate to say that in this political climate, knowing how to spot fake news is extremely important? Uh, yes, it is important in any political climate. Well, what's the prize if uh, our delightful contestant gets, gets it right? Uh, you get a nice uh, little sticker.
1: Yeah,
0: that's great. Hell yeah! I'm gonna let you do Woo! it.
1: Cool. Uh, yeah. So it looks like I'm gonna need a contestant. Hmm. Ooh.
2: Where?
3: Oh
2: yeah,
3: that's right. Hey y'all.
2: you I accept the challenge. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh. Okay. You accept the challenge.
1: Thank you. Thank you. That's not for you. Okay. <laughs> so I'm just going to list off three things. you got to tell me which one of them is fake. Simple. Story one. Rapper who once declared that God made me bulletproof was shot and killed. Story number two. Entire Long Island restaurant reportedly erupts into cheers for Anthony Scaramucci, <laughs> Golden Boy the Mooch.
3: It. it erupted into cheers. Standing ovation, okay. technically. On Long Island, though. Yeah.
1: Yeah. There's lots of the Italians there. Number three. The police say that a boy called 911 from the back seat of the vehicle he was in to report his mom for not letting him go to McDonald's. Okay.
3: So two truths in one line.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: I think it's the rapper.
1: That is actually true. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's like one of my favorite stories on here. The, the, the fake one is actually the boy who called oh. on his mom. Uh, he, he was actually being a good Samaritan and called about a DUI that she was doing. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's pretty fucked up. Okay, well, cool. All right, you, got, you got two more chances at this. All right. okay. So the first story again. Uh, People rushed to ask, um, yeah, to ask Google why their eyes hurt after the solar eclipse. Story two, Trump's response to the Minneapolis mosque bombing was filled with spilling errors and released in the middle of the night, like all of his tweets, I guess. Story three, China killed an AI chatbot after it started praising the US and criticizing communists. Okay,
3: well, Donald Trump didn't say shit about Minneapolis.
1: Right? That's, that, wait, that's, so that's the lie. That's That's the fake one. That that is fake, that is, that is true. That it is fake, okay. Yeah, uh, the Trump administration, all they said was that it was probably a liberal hoax, and so they're not gonna respond to it. Wow. Cool. Uh, So, for the last one. Story one. A musician played the saxophone during surgery on his brain tumor.
3: That's almost know. certainly true. Okay.
1: Cool. China. Story two, there's a Chinese restaurant that offers a discount for processes. For- like, bigger tatas, oh. less pay.
3: In China?
1: Yes. Okay. I'm not gonna tell you it's legal, I'm just saying that it's happened. It's China. Okay. Story three. A, fire, a firefighter responding to a farm blaze intentionally let piglets burn, later eating them.
3: The piglets is the lie. Wait, I'm mean, going to identify the. Sorry, dude. Wait, I identified the truth or the lie?
1: You've got to find the lie.
3: The lie is the
1: pigs. Cool, that is correct. <laughs> so, what actually happened is that the firefighters saved all the piglets and their moms. And six months later, they were rewarded sausages. <laughs> <laughs> Yay. Uh, so yeah, you got two out of the three, and so you get a second. <laughs> right. Good job.
0: Everybody, prepare, pretend there was a bunch of pomp and circumstance as I walked to the stage. Welcome to the Skewer. <laughs> Great imagination! You really, you really made it seem as though there was pomp on the podcast. I'll edit in some pomp so it'll look like we really, we really pulled it out big time. Uh, my name is Tom Harrison. I'm your host for the evening. Welcome to the Skewer, a live monthly satirical news review where we uh, satirize the dumb news of the month that was through op-ed essays and debate. Before I get started with my opener, I just want to ask you guys a question. Is it Antifa or Antifa? If you think it's Antifa, do, do a cheer. If you think
2: it's Antifa, do a cheer.
0: If you think it's, Antifa, if you, if you think it's some third thing that I didn't offer as a choice, tell me what you think it is Anti-fat? oh jesus that's hard to say okay well out of respect i'm gonna say anti fat it's coming up a lot i gotta say that it's getting really hard to write these like summary bits that sum up the month uh Because it's impossible to know what the big story of a month is these days. Like, at first this month, like an idiot, I thought it was North Korea. Dumb. Then I was sure it was Charlottesville and the Nazis. And I was like, uh... Then I was like, okay, no, it's not that. It's not the Nazis. It's definitely the hurricane. Then it turns out I was right the first time. It is North Korea. Actually, this is dated since I wrote this two days ago. It's a... fuck, it's a new hurricane. (laughs) Two North Korea's two hurricanes this month. Dear Lord, it is impossible to get a fucking handle on what new terrors await us cursed prisoners in America's corpse. Our brains are 100% not built to handle this world. Every day we get a story that would define the year in any other point in my life. And we get these stories and we spend all day trying to grapple with what it means, what are the implications. And then it's like, hey, you idiot, Hey, you fucking moron, are you talking about the old thing? That is a thing for babies. We're talking about the new thing now. Now we're talking about how Trump looked at the sun and then gave it a thumbs up. Get with it. Do you remember, for example, that the FBI did a pre-dawn raid of Paul Manafort's home this month? Yes. Like, I saw that in my notes for the news of August, and I honestly thought it happened, like, last year. (laughs) Do you remember when Donald Trump Jr. admitted to having a big crime meeting with a bunch of Russians? (laughs) That feels like it happened in 2010. And do you remember the fucking Women's March? That sounds like some shit you read about from the 30s. (laughs) And because of this career-ending incompetence and evil avoids all consequences because by the time we even understand what's going on, it gets buried by some new horrible thing, like Eric Trump ate a baby or something. (laughs) Like, if hypothetically Donald Trump were to get caught uh, lying about getting blown in the Oval Office by his intern, like, you know, look into your heart, you just know that its impact on the news cycle would be as lasting and as significant as when he tweeted (laughs) Covfefe Like, remember when Nazis descended on Charlottesville and murdered Heather Heyer in the streets and Trump said there was violence on many sides and that was immediately, immediately taken as an inexcusably evil endorsement of fascist, genocidal violence? It seems like it happened an age ago because it took about two weeks for the New York Times and Washington Post, newspapers who wear Hero of the People cosplay to trick you into buying (laughs) them, to say that actually Antifa... Jesus, that's... I'm saying Antifa, I'm sorry. To say that actually Antifa is just as bad as the Nazis, turns out violence on many sides is our talking point now. Now we like that talking point. And the worst thing about the whole mandate to trash Antifa is that it comes from the right. They're the ones who are trying to change the narrative and control the story. They're the ones who say, hey, please forget the murdered woman. The Antifa thugs were very spooky. And the Democrats, addicted to appearing civil and following all the rules, rush to show the right that actually they are very tolerant and polite and do not like the punching men they are too scary and i'm sorry the same right who says that it's bad to whap a nazi in the street when he advocates for a white ethno state made george zimmerman into a celebrity for murdering a child he thought looked too scary I'm not fucking buying it! Yeah, like the snaps. <laughs> and like, this is something that you would hope your major, like, television political satirists would point out and, uh, attack. But holy shit, they are dropping the collective ball. In their defense, this is a joke proof president. He, this month, told people in a flood shelter, have a good time, and then autographed the shelter. <laughs> But that doesn't excuse Daily Show host Trevor Noah from getting on the violence on both sides bandwagon and saying that direct action from Antifa is hurting the cause. Direct action that, just to remind you, uh, caused dozens of white supremacist rallies to be canceled this month nationwide. Mm. Yeah, more snaps, I love the snaps. (laughs) They sustain me. We also had Tina Fey saying not to show up to protest fascism. Instead, stay inside and eat cake. That one wasn't as bad as Trevor Noah, but still. We're in a world where it's increasingly clear that our institutions themselves are rotten to their core. We currently now have a Nazi president literally doing ethnic cleansing. If we impeach Trump by some miracle, we get Pence. Uh, an absolute maniac who tortured LGBT children and put a woman in jail for having a miscarriage because he's horny for Sharia law. And if by some miracle we get the Democrats in power, yeah, it's going to be better, but we still have eight years of endless drone war and Poe faced oh gosh, I wish we could raise the minimum wage, but it's just not viable right now. Have you considered becoming an entrepreneur? Yeah. Yeah. Fucking entrepreneur. <laughs> There's no fun... <laughs> There's, like, no one fun target to wail on as a satirist for easy comedy points when the truth is that America is a f- broken, a failing state run by a death cult that worships pain, where ten rich men that control all the money will prevent any change that affects them negatively in any way, and any satirist not calling for the immediate redistribution of wealth to the poor, to people of color, grounded into poverty through centuries of institutionalized racism, is not doing satire. They're cranking their goddamn hog. And we're doing that here, too. I don't want to... I don't want to mislead you. I'm not saying I'm better. I'm not saying I'm a great writer. I'm not saying I'm a great satirist. Or even that funny, there's like three jokes in this entire thing. But I'm a damn sight better than Trevor fucking Noah. It's not bad optics to prevent Nazis from preaching genocide in the streets. The thing about Nazi opinions and free Nazi speech is that they turn into Nazi action real fucking quick. People whose core belief is, let us seize power and then kill the impure, do not go through the proper channels. And it's hard to tell where we, the non evil electorate, I'm assuming you all are not evil, am I right? Yeah. I'm seeing a couple hand waves, that's good enough. It's hard to tell where we go from here, how we're going to get our country back from the GOP. There's a very real culture war going on right now, and we're losing. And if not losing, at least not definitively winning. And when our side is, you should be ashamed to be racist, not definitively winning is bad. You should win right away with that side. <laughs> This seems like a time when we need a unifying, inspiring figurehead to speak in a loud, clear voice a message of justice and equality that galvanizes public opinion, and that's not happening. Like, I don't, I don't think it can be a politician, since they need to get reelected above all else, and unless the system changes a lot soon, they're just always going to need to put the needs of their donors above the needs of the people. And then we have like there's the democratic socialists who like they're doing good things they're putting boots on the ground and that helps but like what's who's the public face of that there's a stigma there the bernie bro stigma is real and it's not entirely manufactured there's there's some bad ones who's the public face out there winning hearts and minds who's going to change the minds of millions of people who think that like Medicare for all and $15 minimum wage are socialism things for misogynists who made Trump win. I don't know. Like I I can't even imagine a civilian ideological leader rallying public opinion in 2017. If you follow any left-wing person online, you'll see that literally all they do is make fun of Peter Dow 24 hours a day. If you don't know who Peter Dow is, keep it that way. (laughs) And it's fun to dunk on dopes, it's fun to make your jokes, but it's permanent, and the dopes' rich friends are gonna use it against you forever. This is a world where public figures are required to publish every opinion they ever have on social media, so people's flaws are hyper-visible and preserved forever. <laughs> like, anyone who wants to take a leadership role has to con- has to contend with a digital paper trail that for sure Contains a mean joke or a dumb opinion, or them being embarrassingly basic, or not considering a nuance of a thorny issue. You're like you're definitely going to be too horny at some point. That's just <laughs> human nature. Like if someone inspires me at some point to take action, you know, like really get really get out there, go join a movement, go to a march. And if I find out on my way to the march that that person had a bad opinion. About anime in 2013, bitch, I'm staying home. If they think the best JoJo from JoJo's Bizarre Adventure is JoTaro KuJo, fuck you, not my president. And if they don't have any opinions about anime at all, then what the fuck are they doing trying to occupy a position of influence anyway? At least watch Cowboy Bebop when are you a tiny baby? Do the work. I gotta say, I was not sure the anime jokes would <laughs> land. The best, Joseph Joestar, Jonathan Joestar, Josuke, Joe Turo. But not all the news is miserable. Illinois passed automatic voter registration this month. The most effective solution to the GOP's favorite way to rig democracy, and the the first non-Bernie Sanders senator, Kamala Harris, endorsed the Medicare for All bill. Give me the snaps. I want the snaps. I didn't even write that. That's just true. And, like, would I prefer it if the Democrats, the only politically viable alternative to the GOP death cult that worships pain, didn't need to be forced with Herculean effort to move even an inch to the left. Yes, I would prefer that. But until then, hey, guys, good work on that latest inch. Thank you. All right. Moving on, before we get to the op-ed portion of the evening, I would like to introduce to the stage, writer, poet, comedian, extremely talented person, and co-producer of this very show to deliver a voicemail op-ed, Erica Dreisbach!
3: What's up, everybody? Y'all been making your calls?
1: Yeah!
3: (laughs) Lie to me. Cheer. Y'all been making your calls? Okay, right now we're going to be calling my state representative, Kelly Cassidy. She does have voicemail. And I'm going to give her a little piece of my mind. She mostly tweets about her cat. That's some background for you in this voicemail. And it rings for a while, and then there's going to be a message. But it's like, come on, Kelly. What are you doing with that office of political power? I don't care about your cat. But it's her official one, her political one. It's funny, guys. (laughs) I'm sorry. Usually if people aren't laughing, I can say, it's funny, and then people give a pity laugh.
2: (laughs) Okay. Okay,
3: we're getting, we're winding up to the real moment. Hi, Kelly Cassidy, I am one of your constituents in 60660 in Edgewater, Chicago. My question is how many people in our neighborhood are going to be influenced by having DACA rescinded and how many people in our community are afraid right now. The city of Sacramento has a budget of $900 million, but they've set aside $300,000 for immigrants who are going to be affected by DACA, uh, by DACA being reappealed. Chicago has $9.8 billion, so I want to see you working to set aside some of that good, good cash for our community, I want to see you at least doing
2: some empty virtue signaling tweets, which is literally the least you can do.
3: That's it. Hope you're having a good day. Bye. And now I'm just going to launch into an op-ed. <laughs> in August, Representative Ben Ray Lehan, head of the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee, he said in an interview that they would not take a candidate's stance on abortion into account when allocating campaign funds. To give you a sense of the money at stake, the DCCC raised and dispersed more than $200 million in the 2016 election cycle. It's a lot of money. But then Mr. Luhan was only the latest among high profile trial. Oh, sorry guys. here we go. <laughs> High-profile Democrats to walk back the commitment to safe and legal abortion because in May, House Minority Leader Nancy Pelosi said the Democratic Party should have an inclusive agenda that welcomes anti-abortion Democrats in those tough red districts. We all know how it is. We all want to get elected guys. and in April, Bernie Sanders endorsed anti-abortion Omaha mayoral candidate Heath Mello, who went on to lose. Sometimes I'll read an article from a remorseful Donald Trump voter. Oh, I didn't know he'd be like that. But then I think about my aunt and uncle in Michigan, who I think are getting exactly what they voted for. They wanted Hillary to not win. They wanted to undo the best of Barack Obama's legacy. And they wanted a Supreme Court that will overturn Roe v. Wade. Because the 2016 election brought out anti abortion single issue voters in force. And Democratic politicians think the wind is changing and they're turning their little boats. When I came to political awareness in the mid 90s, I learned about two entrenched and unresolvable culture wars one was gay marriage, and the other was abortion. Gay marriage then had about 70% of Americans against, 30% in favor. Abortion was about 45% in favor of choice, 45% in favor of a ban, and then 10% who you could swing either way, depending on if you were like, well, what about rape and incest? And they'd be like, oh. And then you're like, but what about a heartbeat? And they're
2: like, oh.
3: And then in the last 20 years, abortion access got significantly worse. There are five states in these United States that have one single abortion clinic. They are Mississippi, North Dakota, South Dakota, Wyoming, and Missouri, which is bordering us right now to our southwest. And the poll numbers are almost exactly the same as when I was in high school. But in that same 20-year period, the numbers on gay marriage flipped. Now it's 70% in favor, 30% against. So, What happened between 1995 and 2015? Well, RuPaul went to number one on the Billboard dance charts. (laughs) Ellen came out. Boys Don't Cry and Hilary Swank won an Oscar. Brokeback Mountain and Ang Lee won an Oscar. Five seasons of Queer Eye for the Straight Guy. Eight seasons of Will and Grace. Visible, celebratory, joyous, gay pride celebrations worldwide then it was 2015, and 37 states had legal gay marriage, and the Supreme Court ruled in Obergefell v. Hodges that marriage is a constitutionally protected federal right. Please applaud. (laughs) That was a major victory for our gay agenda, guys. You're welcome. So what have we learned? If enough old people die, and enough young people watch gay TV, the culture will change. Right now, it's mainstream socially acceptable to be anti-abortion. I feel expected to see my aunt and uncle's reproductive politics as a difference of opinion or a matter of religious freedom, the way that they know better than to bring up their homophobia in front of me at Thanksgiving, which is a very good idea on their part. (laughs) Uh, I am in the radical minority, I recognize. I believe you should have access to an abortion just because you want one. the same way that if you're fertile, you can have a child just because you want one. I believe abortion is as noble as adoption. Both mean making a decision that a baby should grow up with prepared and caring parent or parents. And the countries with the best economies in the world, the best math and science scores in the world, the best quality of life indices in the world, they all have abortion policies described like, no questions asked, up to 20 weeks, or Abortion on demand up to 16 weeks. That's Norway. (laughs) That's the actual description of it. In Norway, 7 out of 10 people would describe their lives as very satisfying. I can't find 7 people in Logan Square, total, who would describe their lives as very satisfying. So how do we get a federal abortion policy that correlates with a world-class, healthy economy, the dopest, sharpest mathematical minds, that glorious quality of life? How do we get policy that reflects that a human body is not mere reproductive property controlled by the government? Can we look to our lawmakers? Can we look to our leftist heroes, like Bernie Sanders? Story time. I'm from Vermont. Let me tell you a story about Bernie Sanders. In
2: 1999,
3: when I was a senior in high school, the Vermont Supreme Court ruled in Baker v. State that you didn't have to call it marriage, but there had to be an equivalent institution. You could call it civil unions, whatever, but the gay Vermonters needed the same privileges and civil rights as the rest of Vermont. And so the Vermont State Legislature, their hands tied, they crafted a civil unions bill, knowing that two-thirds of Vermonters were against civil unions. Fun fact, Vermont, not that liberal, actually, guys. (laughs) Um, So they crafted this. There um, There was a Take Back Vermont movement, which was really weird. Take Back Vermont from gay pirates or something, and they had these wooden signs that they would drill onto trees on their property, and my friend Hillary, she would bring a drill in her truck, and if she saw one, she would undrill them and then burn the sign, which is crazy. And there were protests in Montpelier, and these buses from Kansas filled with anti-gay People they came to Montpelier. We're here to help you. And in true Vermont fashion, take back Vermont. Said, get out of here, Flatlander. I'm like, get out of here, <laughs> kick those Kansans out. And uh, my mother has never had a bumper sticker before or since, but she got one that said, "Take Vermont forward." Um, and Howard Dean, you might remember him in 2004. <laughs> exactly. He put a fi- but he also put a fire under John Kerry. He said, "I'm from the Democratic wing." the Democratic Party. Fuck you, centrist. And then uh, that's what he was like in 2004, but in 1999, he signed that civil unions bill behind closed doors. So there would not be photo or video of Howard Dean passing civil unions. Because he's a coward, ultimately. And Bernie Sanders, good old Bernie Sanders, he said this is an incredible, tremendous step forward for gay Vermonters. And the Burlington Free Press asked, Bernie, are you in favor of gay marriage? And Bernie said,
2: "Hmm?"
3: Hm? And they said, are you in favor of full legal gay marriage? And Bernie said, I gotta go. Uh He was not on record saying shit because it was 1999 and any politician, left or right, who wanted to be reelected wasn't saying shit aligned with gay rights. Oh yeah, and you can find audio and video and footage of Barack Obama around this time and Hillary Clinton around this time saying, yeah, marriage is between a man and a woman, and then later saying, oh, I was just kidding at the time. Yes, I was just kidding. What I'm saying is that politicians don't make culture. They follow culture. They taste the wind, and they figure out where it's blowing, and they point little little boats. We can't look to politicians to lead us. The job of making culture is my job. That's the job of artists. It's our job. So, yeah, a limp, finger snap and applause for that. Yeah, artist. <laughs> Am I an artist? I don't know. I, um, in conclusion, I need to make abortion will and grace. I need to make abortion broke back mountain. And abortion art need not be made only by people who've had or might have had an abortion. Look at Brokeback Mountain. Annie Prue wrote the short story. She's not a gay man. Ang Lee, not a gay man. Heath Ledger, not a gay man. Jake hall.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
3: and we need fewer unplanned pregnancies. Fewer narratives of rape as a moment of building character. Looking at you, Game of Thrones. We need weird sex stuff. We need to denormalize intercourse. We need art about tender hand jobs. We need art about sex that makes men feel ashamed to say, Oh, baby, condoms don't feel good. Yeah, half the room is like, yeah, and then a very quiet other half of the room. We need art like Daenerys and Jon Snow where his legs are wide open and her legs are tight together and you're like, what are you guys doing down there? And they're like, we'll never tell. <laughs> Abortion strengthens society. Tender hand jobs strengthen society. Spread the word. Be the change. Thank you.
0: One more time for Erica back. You've hit upon the true the true foolproof method. Because I'm as cishat white man as they come, but the gay agenda has worked on me. Have you see, have you seen the picture of Rami Malik as Freddie Mercury? <laughs> <laughs> uh-
2: <laughs> <clears throat> <sighs>
0: <laughs> anyway. Our next op-ed uh, writer of the evening is a writer, performer, lifelong Chicagoan karaoke enthusiast and regular contributor at Drinkers with Writing Problems. She writes about pop culture over at Hose Chicago, especially as it relates to Game of Thrones and the Fast and Furious franchise. Amazing. Um, she's on Twitter and Instagram at at up. Please welcome Kim Nelson.
4: August 21st. A swath of land across North America experienced a total solar eclipse. It was the first eclipse to reach from coast to coast since 1918 and one of the biggest astronomical events in decades. My husband, Kurt, four friends and I had rented an Airbnb in Lake of the Ozarks with the plan to wake up early Monday morning and drive an hour to Columbia, Missouri, which sat directly in the Path of Totality, the area from which you can see a complete view of the eclipse. It was a seven hour drive to the Ozarks. We stopped at a gas station in rural Missouri. Outside the comfortable air conditioned car, the air was hot and humid, pushing 90 degrees. I walked my dog to a grassy area to stretch her legs, looked up and saw a Confederate flag waving in front of a house across the street. Just a few weeks earlier, the NAACP had issued a travel advisory for people of color traveling in the state of Missouri, warning them to use quote, extreme caution while visiting, unquote. It was the first time the organization had ever issued an alert of this kind. This was also eight days after the rally and counter-protest in Charlottesville. What are these times we're living in, guys? We have travel advisories, Nazis marching in the street, the moon's blocking out the sun, and half the country's either underwater or on fire. (laughs) It's not hard to feel like we're living in some sort of dystopian novel. I've grown to feel a sense of dread every morning when I first wake up and look at my phone, afraid of what news broke out while I was sleeping and what world I've woken up in. On the morning of August 21st, we woke up to a warm, muggy day. My friends and I loaded our coolers and our camping chairs into the car and made the hour-long drive to our destination, a large park in town where an eclipse festival was scheduled. A series of soccer fields and baseball fields stretched along the length of a large parking lot. Food vendors and a stage for bands filled one of the fields. We found a large swatch of grass beneath a small tree, and we could sit in its shade for hours leading up to the eclipse and set up our stuff. It was still early, with the parking lot filling quickly. There was a black leather motorcycle vest covered in patches laying on the grass beneath the tree next to a small blanket, but their owners were nowhere to be seen. We had a few hours to wait before the eclipse started, so I put on a playlist from my phone over a small Bluetooth speaker a collection of songs that my friends and I had come up with in honor of the day. <laughs> Ain't no sunshine, black hole sun, blinded by the light, sunglasses at night, steal my sunshine. Like, yes. we, so we, like I, I love puns. Clustering under the small tree for shade as the temperature continued to rise, we began digging in the cooler for some of the ice-chilled beer we brought along. It started to feel like a party as we watched people walk back and forth from the vendors with cold beers, Eclipse glasses, and souvenir t-shirts. My dog chilled out next to me under the tree, her water bowl, to- water bowl topped off with a few ice cubes. A song from Little Shop of Horrors came on next, saying, on am <laughs> <"I laughs> like your music selection, someone said. We turned around. Our two neighbors had returned to their saved places beneath the tree. My dog stretched to the end of her leash to give them a friendly sniff, and they both reached out to pet her. She immediately curled her body towards them in a show of trust, ready to receive their friendship, proving that dogs will forever be better than humans. We made introductions. Stefano was the owner of the motorcycle vest. He was a little older than us and originally from New Jersey. Next to him was Josh, a 21-year-old theater major from Alpine, Texas, who made a spur-of-the-moment decision to drive by himself for 16 hours to see the eclipse. Both had expected to spend the entire day alone until they ran into each other by chance, when Josh parked his car next to Stefano's parking lot, next to Stefano's chopper in the parking lot, and they struck up a conversation. And now their acquaintances included us, six nerds from Chicago with a cooler full of beer, a friendly dog, a super punny playlist, and lots of opinions about the previous night's Game of Thrones episode. (laughs) The friendly conversation and steady flow of beer made the time pass quickly, until the first phase of the eclipse began shortly before noon. We put on our protective glasses, and it's impossible to look cool wearing those glasses. We just look like a big field of nerds. <laughs> and through the polymer lenses, the sun glowed orange and fierce, a perfect orb under the first, until the first sliver was blacked out by the approaching moon. You can feel the excitement level rise through the park. The summer sky grew noticeably darker. Through our glasses, the darkness of the moon continued to take a bite out of the sun, like an interstellar Pac-Man. The buzz of voices fell to a quiet hush as the moment of totality neared. I turned off my playlist, letting the sounds of nature take over. Cicadas pulsed from the trees. A soft wind rippled the leaves and cooled our sweaty skin. We watched the the final crescent of the sun slip away, and we took off our glasses, safely able to observe with our naked eyes. The sky was dark as night, the sun fully eclipsed, a glowing ring of light around its shadowed center. In the darkness, we could see the solar corona, the aura of light created by the sun's burning gases. It was the softest, most beautiful light I had ever seen, a white, hazy glow with shimmers of pale blue. It's difficult to describe in a way that does it justice. The crowd was completely silent and awestruck. In that moment, I felt like I was looking at the universe, flooded with an awareness of how small we are. How our lifetimes are as fleeting and fragile as the soft white glitter that sparkled around the horizon of the sun. I thought about how there were so many of us standing in football fields or backyards or office parking lots across the country, all witnessing the same moment, feeling the same emotion, thousands and thousands of people, just all quiet and looking up. To my left, I heard a small whisper from my friends, old and new. They were passing a bottle of beer around our small circle Eclipse beer one of them said in a low voice, and gave it to me and I took a sip and then passed it to the next person. A sacrament that we just completely made up in the moment. I felt tears in the corners of my eyes. Right now the world may be fucked up and cruel and randomly chaotic, but it's also beautiful and transcendent and divine. We're all just people passing each other by at any given moment, changing the atmosphere with the words we use, the thousands of tiny choices we make every single day to either be kind or to be cruel. For those two minutes of totality, I was surrounded by love and kindness. I witnessed that moment with my husband and our awesome dog who curled up at her feet guarding us from harm as she always does. We were with my best friends, people who I first met when I was 16 years old and carried a pager with a Spice Girls sticker on it. And now we're on the cusp of our 40s. We shared our circle with two new friends from opposite sides of the country, two people separated by decades of age and vastly different ba- backgrounds, but had no trouble forging an immediate friendship, able to easily share conversation for a few hours on a muggy summer day. The bottle of beer kept circling until it was gone, and as the seconds passed, the eclipse was gone too. As the rays peeked out from the moon grew stronger, we knew it was time to put our glasses back on. The fleeting chance to stare directly into the sky was over. Sounds began to fill the air, murmurs of conversation, some cheers, some sighs. I turned the playlist back on, and a song cued up, I will follow you into the dark. We waited until the mad dash of cars died down, because everyone wanted to get a jump start on their drive home, but we stayed on the grass. Eventually, we would head to a taqueria in downtown Columbia with our new friends, and exchange social media information over tacos to keep in touch Joking that we'll all meet again in 2024 for the next eclipse. But in that moment on the grass, still thinking of the sight we just witnessed together, we didn't have anywhere to be, and we had good company and a cooler full of beer. There was no need to rush. Thank you.
0: One more time for Kim Nelson, thank you so much. My eclipse story it was that I was at work doing spreadsheets and then I looked at the clock and I missed it. <laughs> Capitalism! <laughs> Before we get to the next op ed writer, I would like to re welcome to the stage for the second round of the fake news game Kevin Johnson. <clears throat>
1: Hello, my fellow givers and receivers of tender handjobs.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> I love you all. Does anyone else want to a around? You?
0: Wow. Yay! Woo! Woo!
1: Hello. 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 What's your name?
0: Uh, my name is Noah.
1: Cool. <laughs> hey, yes. hi. hi Noah! <laughs> Say hi to Noah. Hi Noah! Hi, Noah! Oh man, this is so much power, this is great. Okay, Uh, the first story. Man was knocked unconscious after 13 pounds of meth spuggled from Mexico, hit him in the head after flying off a drone. Second, a gun was pulled in a fight between back to school shoppers at a Walmart in Michigan. Third story. North Korea's new stamp celebrate nuclear missile in a showdown with the U.S. Oh. <laughs> All right, I'm from Michigan, I can confirm that that second one is yeah. probably true. <laughs> it's also Walmart, so I <laughs> I'm gonna go with the last one, the North Korea one. Ooh, that, that is actually true. Oh. Oh. Commemorative stamps for a nuke, which is fucking cool, I, I guess. <laughs> um, Propaganda. The, the first one is actually wrong, there was, there, there were drugs. There was a drone from Mexico. It didn't hurt anyone, though. Yeah, no, well, that's good. I mean, except the drug users, I like guess. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So for the second uh, set of stories, uh, number one, Anthony Scaramucci signed a contract with E-Network to start a new reality TV show. <laughs> Don't we want that? I want that. Anyway, story two. German police sees five thousand ecstasy tablets, all orange and shaped like Trump's head. No. <laughs> Number three, uh, newly created, the most American beer ever, and it contains actual fried chicken. Uh, oh. uh. Mm, yeah. I'm gonna guess the first one, the Anthony Scaramucci. Yeah. It, it, it's fake. Oh, thank God. <laughs> just, just for the record, the uh, the beer only has like 0. .4 yeah. percentage of it is actually chicken. Oh, it's it's still probably <laughs> gross though. <laughs> um, all right, for your third set, first story. Chuck E. Cheese retires its animatronic band, the Pizza Time Players. Story two, frat house members Jump a Jersey Shore drawbridge while playing the Dukes of Hazzard theme. (laughs) Or three, six South Carolina sheriff's deputies are disciplined for having sex on duty.
5: I'm gonna go with the Dukes of Hazzard.
1: Yeah. They they didn't actually do that. It was a a family trying to escape death in their RAV4. So, but, so there was a job, uh, I mean, a, a drawbridge, and all of that happened. Happen. Right, so, uh, right. yeah, you did well. So, uh, give, <laughs> give give it a Can of Can we all say bye to Noah?
0: Bye. Bye, Kevin, thank you so much. Kevin, you have correctly identified that hosting a show is a lot of power. Why do you think I, a white man, choose to do it? <laughs> Our next op ed writer is a writer and performer in Chicago. You can see her writing on the AV Club and more. Please welcome to the stage, Donette Chavez.
6: my phone because I forgot my papers at home. (laughs) It's hard to pinpoint exactly which shit sandwich, an item that's down menu from the Nothing Burger, the Trump administration has served up that's the most offensive. There are so many dubious options from which to choose like his executive order that effectively bans visitors from several predominantly Muslim countries, which in case you missed it, went into effect two months ago, just four months after he first announced it. So everyone who said it would never fly can go fuck themselves, because the only thing that's been grounded is a Muslim engineer who was born in this country. Every day or week or month, a different marginalized group ends up in the GOP's crosshairs, whether we're talking about LGBTQI folks, women, the working poor, or immigrants. There are just so many people for these rich white races to target and disenfranchise, and so many opportunities for them to do so, now that the president has gone from dog whistling to whistling Dixie on the White House lawn. But it's starting to look like they use a magnetic poetry set to decide which right to strip from which group next. Indulge me here. I'd like you to picture a magnetic piece that reads trans people being placed next to two others that read can't and serve in the military. (laughs) Now, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. I know that. I know I have to remain vigilant, that my feminism must be intersectional, and that sometimes I'm going to have to follow a hate-spewing demagogue on Twitter because relating his latest affront to decency is part of my job. Suck it up, journal. you say. If it's your responsibility, then just do it. Watch as he makes Freudian slip after Freudian slip over the word heel, which he keeps spelling like the command you give a dog, which is probably how he'd like to communicate with everyone who isn't in the three commas club, and not like a synonym for the words mend or recover. The thing is, this isn't exactly what I signed up for. I'm a culture writer and editor, someone who is far better equip- equipped to tell you how the current political landscape is reflected in the latest drama or sent up in a new satire, than give you a timeline on the Clinton-era legislation that paved the way for the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals program and also effectively shut the door on that stopgap measure. But when a former reality TV star pulls off an upset to become President of the United States, Christ, even after bragging about sexually assaulting white women, our country's most precious natural resource, (laughs) politics will bleed into my pop culture purview, creating a crossover more objectionable than that episode that combined the mediocrity of the Drew Carey show, Ellen, Coach, and Grace Under Fire. Here is where I would ask you to picture Craig T. Nelson hugging Drew Carey, but haven't we been through enough this week? (laughs) It's not like I'm ostriching it up or anything. I read, I stand informed, I subscribe to print newspapers, having worked at one for over a decade. I too have set Google Alerts for Trump bigotry, Trump nuclear war, Trump end of the world, and Oscar Isaac gray hair. Oh sorry, that last one doesn't really apply here, but just know that I'm always on the lookout. So while it wasn't previously in my line of work to cover politics, which Trump and his cronies have helped turned into a 3 ring circus, the kind that's rapidly losing revenue and will hopefully be shut down now that groups are speaking up for the abused animals, because maybe the administration <laughs> will follow suit. I accept that I'll have to write a story or two about the latest attacks against this already besieged country, like rescinding DACA, in-between posts about BoJack Horseman and Oscar Isaac, gray hair. <laughs> as a Mexican-American woman, one who used to refer to herself as 1.4, fifth generation, because my mom was born in Texas, but my dad was born in Mexico, which made first generation technically inaccurate, but one point fifth generation is apparently what they call dreamers, and now I'm confused. I don't mean to distance myself from these wonderful kids, who, yes, are wonderful, whether or not they're the next Einstein or just some decent average person who already has a life in this country. But when our leaders are so dependent on the heretofore unknown, malleable nature of facts, I find I need to be precise in my language. Of course, the question then becomes which language is mine. I'm not a native speaker of Spanish because I was born in the US, which is not a majority Spanish-speaking country. Not yet, anyway. I fall into the heritage speaker category, because while we spoke some Spanish at home growing up, when you have seven kids in a small house in Chicago who love to watch Star Trek and Dynasty, English becomes the dominant tongue. So for a long time, I thought nothing of having a limited vocabulary and conjugating poorly in the language I used most often with my dad which sometimes resulted in mistakenly using the word pregnant in place of embarrassed, which was embarrassing indeed. But hey, you're never too young to learn about false cognates. I've long long since established fluency, if only so my sisters and I could talk about people behind their backs to their faces. (laughs) And yeah, you might think that your high school Spanish classes would enable you to call us on our bullshit, but we've created such a hodgepodge of dialects and Spanish (laughs) words that you'd be hard-pressed to make out a pronoun. Now, I pride myself on being a bookworm, and I majored in English Lit, although English Lit isn't spelled correctly here. (laughs) There's a good space! I know, this is embarrassing. So it's fair to say that I love words, written and otherwise. But it wasn't until I could switch between the two that I use most frequently that I truly felt appreciative of language. There's a whole other suitcase, or maleta, to unpack in a different story and a different reading series about just how and why Spanish fluency eluded me for so long. But once I began consuming all kinds of media, I began treating pop culture as a language. Because there's a lot you can communicate about yourself through your tastes. In the words of Nick Hornby, what really matters is what you like, not what you are like. Of course, that shorthand is steeped in privilege and based on a bunch of Western or Eurocentric bullshit assumptions about what is art art and all. A lesson that it took me far too long to learn. Still, I subscribed to that way of thinking for so long that, combined with my 90% English existence and tendency to end up in a room full of white people, I came to rely on it. If I wanted to break the ice at a sales meeting, I'd joke about coffee being for closers. If I wanted to hit it off with a new coworker at the alt-weekly paper, I'd ask if they'd read The Amazing Adventures of Cavalier and Clay. If I wanted to put the moves on someone, well, first of all, I wouldn't say putting the moves, then I'd ask which episode of The Wire was their favorite. Ah! <laughs> this made me a prime candidate for a job as a TV critic and entertainment reporter. Well, not exactly. I think the ideal prospect is still a white dude with Buddy Holly glasses who loves Breaking Bad. But my love of TV and music and books paved the way for my current career, and has been the common ground on which to make these middle-class men and women, some of whom wear Buddy Holly glasses, and only some of whom love Breaking Bad. For a long time, I was able to keep my political beliefs separate from work, so that I didn't have to think that much about not being around other people I assumed weren't, as progressive as I am, and also just not getting the point. The threats to immigrants and calls for show your papers just ring louder for me and home and closer for me. There's an unspoken acknowledgement of such, but now that the good white people in our lives are just as anxious to be seen as those racialized people who, who bought into the model minority myth, their desire for dialogue is greater than ever. And suddenly I feel like I lack the proper terminology, even though their greetings and segues are all in English. I guess some admittedly foolish part of me thought that at some point, all that would matter is what we like to watch, read, and listen to. Those things did dominate the conversation for a while, but now that everyone thinks the sky is falling, they're suddenly eager to talk about things that I would normally reserve for other queer, brown, and black folks. And I'm more careful than ever about my intent, which means I'm suddenly quieter than ever. And God, can we please just go back to talking about the end of Mad Men?
0: Once more for Danette Chavez, please. Thank you so much, Danette. Fantastic. And our last op-ed reader of the night did not send me a bio, so I'm just gonna give you the basicest part. She is a writer, comedian, and improviser. Please welcome Mary Tilden. Hey, guys. Um
7: So, everyone has been so good tonight. Um, I, so Tom asked me to do this show uh, over the weekend, so um, it was like a little bit last minute, and I, Uh, responded while drunk, that yes, I would. (laughs) That yes, I would definitely do it. I definitely had enough time to write a piece and that I would do an op-ed about the hurricane. Um, And then I sobered up and I was like, what the hell is an op-ed about the hurricane? Like, I have to have like a skewering point of view about a hurricane. So so (laughs) I tried my best and... I will say it's more of a squish than a skewer, but um, uh, but so I tried to make it a little bit personal. So uh, here we go. When I was in elementary school, I was obsessed with weather. At least that's what I told all my friends to explain why I would rush to my television once every 10 minutes so I could watch the weather channels local on the 8s, which um, was just a scrolling five-day forecast of uh, Columbia, South Carolina, and the surrounding areas set to instrumental music that was always cheerful, rain or shine. Um, I needed to know if the weather forecast had changed within the last 10 minutes because not only was I obsessed with the weather, but I was terrified of it. Specifically, I was terrified of being killed in a hurricane. It was my biggest fear, in fact, um, right in front of being stabbed while in the shower and my mom dying. Um, So I don't exactly know where this fear came from, It could have started as early as when I was a toddler and I heard my grandparents talk about the torment that was Hurricane Hugo in 1989 that ripped through the Carolina coast and took their family beach house. It could have also been uh, the tornado in the Wizard of Oz is something that I remember being really scary to me, Um, even though the outcome was like, colored world, I I don't know. uh, but I guess I translated, like, the Midwestern possibility of a tornado to the Southeastern equivalent, which was hurricane. Um, so I, my friends always made fun of me for it, and I memorized the start and end dates of hurricane season and mapped out the best places to hide in case... Uh, a sudden Hugo hit uh, I counted the bottles of water in my parents pantry and at the first echo of thunder I would not go near the swimming pool I'll admit it made me uh, quite a wet blanket on a rainy day and eventually as I got older I became more interested in my friends and my personal safety and I grew out of it in the wake of Hurricane Harvey however um, And as Hurricane Irma pummels towards the southeast, a fear, now proven over time to be quite rational, has risen in me once again. I was talking to my friend from Houston the other day, whose family had to evacuate because of Harvey's flooding, and she expressed to me that some of the political humor about Harvey Harvey had been upsetting to her. She mentioned a a comic in Charlie Hebdo, um, which is a satirical news, a French satirical news site that I like a lot, um, that had a drawing of Nazis highlying a Nazi flag um, as only their hands are visible above floodwaters. And underneath it said, God exists, he drowned all the neo Nazis in Texas. So this wasn't like a really surprising thing for Charlie Hebdo to publish. Like they, they do a really good job of skewering so um, maybe have them in here, but um, uh, my friend also mentioned several comments her friends on social media had made that politicized and celebrated what they seemed to think was a natural punishment for hateful people in the state of Texas. It felt like it wasn't the right move, she had admitted to me. My family lives there, and I get it. Politicizing the devastating effects, many of which more intensely affect poor, marginalized communities of a hurricane, feels wrong. It feels cheap, especially when the politics of a hurricane should be aimed at what actually is the reason behind these intensely warming waters in the Gulf and Atlantic, which is inevitably climate change. And while as a liberal person myself, I love to rag on climate change deniers as much as the next guy, I know in my heart that that is not enough. (laughs) Climate change is not a partisan issue and any attempt to make it one is a distraction from the steps we have to all take together to spare humanity from uh, several very strong hurricanes a season. Um, we have to think bigger than uh, these differences because the effects are growing daily. Which brings me to Irma, the storm likely to touch down in my home state this weekend. Um, and much like Texas, South Carolina has its share of problematic racists a culture that perpetuates the celebration and memorialization of confederate soldiers fucking plantation weddings which I went on a rant about last time I was here and I am happy to talk to you about how much I hate them Uh, Trump supporters whose legacies have been built on the backs of slaves and whose businesses are run by undocumented immigrants Dylan Roof a 20-foot advertisement for military-grade assault rifles in the Capitol's airport welcoming newcomers to buy guns as soon as they arrive, and the list of terrible atrocities in my southern state that I wish to drown in the rising floods of a hurricane go on. But to forget the people in South Carolina who work daily to fight this hate, as I have forgotten when speaking to strangers about my state for much of my life, actively seeks, seeks to discredit the work that those people are doing. And what good is their hard work to help those in need speak on behalf of the marginalized, marginalized groups, maintain hope and culture in the state, if those of us who move away erase it in our narrative of the South? Now, I don't know if South Carolina will be hit for sure by Hurricane Irma, but with my sense of anxiety about it, I know to plan for the worst. So I'd like to end with a love letter to some of the best parts of my state so that if they are destroyed by a hurricane, they will not have been forgotten. Dear South Carolina, the things I love about you most are the long splintered docks out to the ocean and beaches as far as the eye can see. I love the laws to protect sea turtles at night so houses turn off their lights and the little babies follow the moon's light to the sea. I love my high school, South Carolina Governor's School for the Arts and Humanities. <laughs> A perfect little oasis founded by some mythical southern governor who wanted to breed young artists to create art about where they were from. I love our weekly marches on the statehouse and college to protect women's rights, LGBTQ rights, and immigrant rights, and it, as well as how pleasantly surprised my friends and I always were at the enormous turnout for all three. I love the bird feeders in every yard, and Pat, the biologist who worked 14 hour days for five years building a university arboretum to house every single native South Carolina plant in one area so biology students of USC could become familiar and grateful for the species that were native to our state. I love how shouting cocks at a Carolina Gamecocks game never gets old whether you act like you're (laughs) over it or not. I love the Black Lives Matter community in South Carolina and how the black community in my home state continually strives for the right to celebrate living in the face of racism and oppression. I love that Bree Newsom scaled the flagpole to remove the Confederate flag from our state's capital in 2014, and I love that my parents heard the news and said, finally. I love that my mother lives within a five minute drive of all four of her siblings, and that she always tells me whose mother she ran into at the Piggly Wiggly each (laughs) week. I love the boiled peanuts, and that people always say hello as they pass you on the street. The list of things I love about South Carolina goes on, and I know that most of these things, if not all, could survive a hurricane with the right precautions. Maybe having to rebuild from a hurricane would be good for the state, maybe it would give people perspective, bring them together. But I wish that the state of South Carolina could get out ahead of that storm and work together to see that the effects of global climate catastrophe will ruin everyone if we don't come together, make this about something larger than ourselves for once and work to stop it. And one thing every, everyone else can do is, before posting about how they hope the Southern racists get blown away, remember those Southern allies who will, who will be blown away with them. <laughs>
0: Thank you. Yeah. One more time for Mary Chilton. Come on. Fantastic. trying to find a substitute to fill in last minute, and I was like, whatever, I'm just gonna go through the list of people who haven't been on in a while. First, Mary, let's see what she says, and very early in the morning, she was like, sure, and I'm like, this is totally reasonable, no suspicion whatsoever. And holy shit, yeah, she pulled it off, am I wrong? No. No, I'm right. So before we, go on to, before we go on to the debate, I want to give you all one more chance to win a delightful skewer sticker. And come up on stage and guess fake news. Yeah. Kevin, get up here.
1: Yeah. That, that was some beautiful shit, though. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like turning off the fucking lights so they can follow the moon. Yeah. Uh, but also plantation winnings. <laughs> <laughs> okay. uh, so yeah, so is there any volunteer here to go three out of three? Yeah, 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 yeah. Whoa, that was <laughs> <a> pretty- <laughs> a one million dollar bill leading to a drug arrest in Iowa <laughs> they don't exist so I do Trump's lawyer says that he is not racist and to prove it, he made a collage of his black friends yeah. oh. <laughs> Story three, far right rally deterred after organizer falls face first into poop from a counter protest named Operation Doggy Droppings.
6: <laughs> I really don't want number two to be true, but I also, in a way, kind of do. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to say number two is false. Oh, God, oh, no. <laughs>
1: Isn't that what you do? I mean, you know, you just, you just make a collage of all your friends. Um, I literally did not hear about that. The the fake one is partially the doggy dropping's one. It was going to happen. It was planned, but the far right rally canceled. So it never okay, that's happened. Right, It's a technicality. Okay. First story, Chicago Alderman Edwin Burke uh, wants to ban self-driving cars to avoid the possibility of a uh, Terminator-like scenario. Number two, a poll says that half of Republicans would back postponing the 2020 election if Trump proposed it. Postponing the election? Yeah, yeah, just Mm push it back. Just not going to be president a little bit longer. You you understand, you understand. Uh, Story three. A prospective Martin Shrelly juror, upon being dismissed, said he he disrespected the Wu-Tang Clan. That's that's, that's why he couldn't be on the jury. I can repeat if you need. What was the first one? That's Edward... Burke. Uh, Self-driving cars. Terminator. second one was was, uh, the Trump 2020 election. Wu-Tang. Ain't nothing to fuck with.
6: I believe all of them. I'm going to say... Oh my goodness,
1: this is difficult. I I try to make it that way. (laughs) (laughs) Number two. Uh, that's actually real, too. Oh, uh... uh, the first one is fake. He didn't say Terminator-like, he said to prevent back-to-the-future-style craziness. Oh,
2: God! <laughs> I, uh, I,
1: I really don't know what the fuck that means. Are we selling plutonium in a fucking parking yeah. lot of a mall? Yeah. Are we going back to Western times? <laughs> gets those Nike shoes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. For the last sex. That that would be cool. (laughs) Number one. A Georgian officer who said we only kill black people is soon to face disciplinary hearing and the governor calls for his removal. Number two. CNN severs ties with Jeffrey Lord hours after he t- tweeted Sig Heil at a liberal activist. Number three. An Israeli minister says, relations with Trump are more important than calling out Nazis. Yeah. It's like, you don't even want these to be real,
2: right? Yeah. It's like, oh, a stomach is this... uh, I think I heard about number one, so I think that's real. Say number two again. Number two.
1: Try <laughs> again. We can't have only eclipse puns. <laughs> Number two is that Jeffrey Lord uh, was fired from CNN after he tweeted sigh Is there help from the audience?
2: No! No! No!
5: She snapped. No, he got five. He got five. Marky Mark.
1: mark.
0: mark. There's
1: A lot at stake here, guys. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot at stake.
0: <laughs> a sticker. one US dollar U. S. Dollar. You're gonna look
1: back at this sticker. You're gonna be like, Did I get one right or did I get none right?
0: <laughs>
6: <laughs> so what is the exact wording of the second one that you got? <laughs>
1: <laughs> the exact wording again? what? What do you want? What do you want?
6: Well, if he got fired or if it's disciplinary.
1: Oh, no. He, oh, for, the, for CNN dude? Or no, for
6: if it's true or false, it's
1: false. You want me to tell you if it's true or false? No!
6: <laughs>
1: oh, you want the first one. Okay. So, there's an officer in Georgia who said on camera, his own camera... We will only kill black people. He said this to a, a white lady who had her hands up. She was gonna put them down, right? And she was like, oh, I've seen those videos. I don't want to get shot. He
6: said, oh, don't worry, we only kill black people. like, oh, no, don't worry, talking.
1: we only kill black people. And so he is to face disciplinary actions, and then the governor is also calling for his removal right, from right. the force. And then the last one is, what's, that? what's the last one? The last one is the Israeli minister Saying that relations with Trump are more important than calling out Nazis. I made this one very good. I'm, sorry. I'm gonna say number
5: number
1: one. You get one correct. Yeah. You did it. Yeah. You did it. Yeah. See, uh, so that's that's false. Uh, it, he's actually just gonna uh, immediately retire in okay. case. No consequences whatsoever. Okay. It's, a, it's a fun story for everyone. We did it. Shake your hands. You did it. Get your stick out.
0: Tom is going to come up and Kevin, thank you for the game. It was good. So ask Kevin... I asked Kevin, like, yesterday, like, hey, do you have all the headlines you need? And he's like, yeah, look at my Google Doc. Um, and I looked at the fake ones that he had, and it was that one about the, the officer getting fired. And I'm like, I heard about that. He did get fired. I had to look it up. Motherfucker was like, he heard he was going to get fired, It's like, no, I'm retiring. Give me all my benefits. And they're yeah. like, we can't, but you, know, you technically you can have them all. Yeah, it's bad. It's the worst. Anyway. 75% of his wages for life. Yeah. It's it's bad as shit. So to finish out the evening, we've got to do the skewer debate every month. Every month there's a topic that one person's opinion can't encompass the whole whole scope of it. We need both sides, and we need you, the audience, to decide who is the victor, who has convinced you of the right opinion. So... Allow me to bring our debaters up to the stage. Our first debater is a freelance pop culture writer for the AV Club, Jezebel and Chicago Reader. She's the founder of the wildparty.club, an intersectional sex and dating advice website. Her work explores the intersection between, between gender, race, sexuality, TV, and film. Please welcome Ashley Ray Harris. <laughs> Our next debater is a staff writer on the award-winning storytelling podcast Pleasure Town, and also is the production coordinator on the feature film Signature Move, which premiered at South by Southwest earlier this year and is having its Chicago premiere at the Music Box on September 29th. Please welcome Ray Goldberg. Just for a little bit, I'm going to... I'm going to say the debate topic and then I'm going to let you guys make your opening statements and the way this debate works both of our debaters are going to give opening statements I'm going to come back up ask them questions they are stupid questions that are very silly that I've not provided them with an uh, I've not provided them with these questions in advance they're going to have to come up with answers on the fly who knows how they'll how they'll do hopefully both amazing And then they're going to finish off with closing statements. And the topic this month is the US, a major nuclear power. It's going to get lonely all by itself. It needs a nuclear Cold War lover. And this month, two contenders have come up. One, the classic, Russia. Always relevant, but uh a fiery tryst appears. North Korea. Only one can be the U.S.'s true Cold War lover. Who's it going to be? You will hear the arguments and you will decide. Uh, who wants to go first? Yeah, I'll go first. Ashley. Yeah. Give your opening statements. Yes. I don't have any
5: papers with me. Uh, North Korea is my side. And I think we should go with North Korea because first of all, we all want this to end. I, I, just, I think we're all just waking up every day, sharing our, God, I just want to wake up dead so I don't have to pay back my student loans. And if you go with North Korea, we are on the fast track to ending this thing. Second of all, North Korea, well, if we happen to make it through all of this and America comes out on top, when eventually a movie is made about it, that's just gonna be diversity in media because they're gonna be forced to hire actual Asian actors. And I I support that future. I support that future, and we already had Miracles on Ice. Russians have had their turn when it comes to film. When it comes to Russian actors, that's just white people. So, for future diversity, again, that's going to have to be Korea. North Korea. Also, just way more fun, you get Dennis Rodman in the mix. He's going to have something to say about it. Along the way, we also get to piss off South Korea and China. And finally, no one ever wins against Russia. Our soldiers, they can't handle that winter. That's what we always learn. You can't handle a Russian winter. I don't care if you're from northern Minnesota. You can't (laughs) handle a Russian winter. So let's not even try. Let's just focus on North Korea, because again, way more fun, movie diversity, We all would like to see more Asian actors hired, I believe. And finally, let's just end this thing! (laughs) Kim can can, can just shut this shit down! That's my argument. On March 12,
2: 1947,
8: President Harry S. Truman went before Congress and proposed that America should be obligated to come to the aid of any democratic nation being threatened by authoritarian forces. Authoritarian forces was a thinly veiled euphemism for those commie bastards. (laughs) The day of that speech is generally considered the start of the Cold War. That was 70 years ago. 70 years of the United States and Russia dancing around each other, staring daggers. Sure, the Cold War technically ended in 1991, but we are not talking about the Cold War because, baby, we're about to make it real toasty up in here. Yeah. If we're talking about long-term lovers, there's no contest. North Korea can huff and puff all at once, but Russia, we've got history. (laughs) Everyone loves a good will-they-or-won't-they relationship. (laughs) Sam and Diane. Ross and Rachel, why mess with a good thing? And let's face it, Russia and the U.S. have a way healthier relationship than Ross and Rachel. Like, say what you will about Russia, at least it didn't decide whether or not to open diplomatic relations with America by making an itemized list of all of America's flaws. Featuring such gems as spoiled, ditzy, a little too into her looks, and chubby ankles. Folks, Friends is so fucked up. Stop watching Friends! Point being, we've got decades of witty banter and longing looks behind us, and the chemistry is undeniable. Plus, we've both got clout. We're superpowers. We could be a power couple. Brangelina's ship has sailed. Make way for a Mercia.
2: <laughs> russia
8: Look, we're working on it. We've got time to figure it out because we are in it for the long haul. No way North Korea is getting in between that. Heck, the only reason there's a North and a South Korea at all is because of America and Russia working together. Oh. <laughs> After Japan's surrender in World War II, the allies invaded and grabbed all the countries it was occupying, including Korea. The Soviet Union called dibs on Korea, but America said, hey, break me off a piece of that Kit Kat bar. (laughs) (laughs) We drew a line across Korea and went, this is kinda half, right? We get 16 million people, you get nine. That's half, right? That's how math works? Yeah, so we get the part that's got Seoul, right? We got this beautiful historic gem of a capital and you get uh, whatever all this stuff over here is. Is that cool? Are we cool? To our genuine surprise, the Soviets just shrugged and went, duh. They went for it. Compromise and adaptability is super important in a relationship, y'all. It was basically a King Solomon situation where we said, I want the baby, you want the baby. Let's cut the baby in half. I get the head, you get the ass. And Russia went, hell yeah, I could use a baby's ass. (laughs) Ladies, gentlemen, neither, both, my opponent wants America to date that baby's ass. <laughs> Don't fall for it. <laughs> North Korea is way too volatile to be in a long-term, uh, be, to be a long-term love interest. Remember when the movie The Interview came out? Or rather, <laughs> didn't come out, I and mean, it kind of did?
2: <laughs>
8: we were on the cusp of World War III because some rich stoners went Let's joke about assassinating a a foreign leader who's infamous for being paranoid and reactionary. Nothing will go wrong. When North Korea's state-run news agency promised stern and merciless retaliation if the film was released, my life flashed before my eyes. And that life included sitting in an underground bunker with my irradiated, muted grandchildren quivering on my knee, saying, Grandma, why do we live in a post-apocalyptic hellscape? and I look down with a weary smile and say, Seth fucking Rogan. (laughs) Thank God we made it out of that one, but like we shouldn't have come that close. You didn't see the Soviet Union freaking out in 1984 because of Red Dawn.
2: The main controversy
8: was that some Americans didn't like it because it was too violent. According to the Guinness Book of Records, it was the single most violent film to date with a rate of 134 acts of violence per hour, or 2.23 per minute. (laughs) The special edition DVD of Red Dawn includes an on-screen carnage counter, so that all the viewers at home can keep up with all the sweet (laughs) no-scopes. They're glorifying the slaughter of Soviet soldiers, and Russia's not losing any sleep over it. It's a dumb 80s movie. They weren't holding an emergency meeting at the Kremlin like... What will we do when Patrick Swayze comes for
2: us?
8: (laughs) Russia's not worried about a silly action flick, but North Korea is. And we deserve someone who's not gonna fly off the handle over every little thing, like hacking a Hollywood studio because they were threatened by a movie where James Franco singing Firework by Katy Perry makes their supreme leader cry and literally crap his pants. Now you may be thinking, how can I fault North Korea for the Sony hack when Russia hacked our entire election? Well, Russia actually had a plan. They thought big, and it worked. Oh, <laughs> so what if they ma- manipulated our election? Some of the greatest love stories of all time have been based on manipulation.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Cyrano
8: the Bergerac, the classic French romance, basically boils down to a dude and his buddy catfishing his cousin until they die. (laughs) And hey, at least we know Russia manipulated us, and now we're probing Russia. And I like to think they're probing us, too. (laughs) But you know what really just brings it all home and ties it off with a bow? Trump Tower, Moscow. Our Cheeto-in-Chief is erecting his newest phallic eyesore smack dab in the middle of Mother Russia's fertile loam. And if that's not love,
2: I don't
0: know what is. One more round of applause for Ashley and Ray for those amazing opening arguments. All right, I got questions for both of you. You're going to have to answer them. That's how questions work. First question. I'm going to uh, point at you, Ashley. So Ray pointed out uh, Red Dawn, a movie about uh, children murdering Soviet soldiers. Did you know that there was a remake of Red Dawn where it was North Korean soldiers? And that movie, uh, yes, I It sucked, and no one liked it. You brought up this North Korea movie as a point in your favor. How are you going to make? How are you going to ensure, rather? that this new North Korea movie doesn't suck like the Red Dawn remake did
5: yeah. here's the thing the relationship between Ross and Rachel Luke and Lorelei, that shit happened I don't know about you, but when I watched the Gilmore Girls remake, that was the most boring part. It's already been done, I don't need to see it anymore. Also, Rachel's not that great, they're not that great together, there's a lot of problems in that relationship. They need something new, something fiery, you know? Something a bit more exciting. That's what you're gonna get with North Korea. And if we had some full-blown fiery, love affair with with North Korea, that's going to make for a better movie. Just taking the same old plot and throwing it at your new lover, well, that's like giving your new lover your old lover's wedding ring. That's not okay. <laughs>
2: it's
5: not okay. I know, because someone tried to do that to me one time. It's not okay. So I say, take the leap forward. Trust in North Korea and what we have in Let's let something new start. Didn't you always wonder what would happen if Lorelai, you brought up TV, so I'm just gonna <laughs> keep going with it. Didn't you always wonder what would happen if Lorelai had like stuck with Max, the like hot, cool teacher? Cause I know I did. I know I was like, why are you wasting your time with this diner guy, Like you should've stayed with the rich dude, come on! What would your life have been? And it would've been fun and probably short-lived. And maybe it's because I'm like a just wild poly girl that the idea of a long-term relationship that lasts forever sounds miserable because all that sounds like is bed death but with North Korea it's gonna be fiery it's gonna be sexy and it's just gonna definitely end badly for both of us but you know we'll both have a story from
2: it
0: I have two responses. One, that ring shit for real? What?
5: That was real. Two. Technically, he asked for the ring back to give it to his new girlfriend. I, I sold it for weed and told him that wasn't a good idea.
0: Well handled. Also, number two, I just gotta bring this up. Uh, so, I've, we've done 22 of these skewer shows, I've been to all of them as the host you would not believe the amount of jokes we have. dragon friends. Like, a crazy number! I, just, I love to see it get bigger. Anyway. Ray, I have a question for you, and it's based on what Ashley said. Long-term relationships are a lot of work to keep up, and research suggests that nuclear lovers are not naturally monogamous. <laughs> What's Russia gonna do to combat the boredom that comes with familiarity?
8: First of all, I would like to point out, I believe this question did not stipulate. We only had to pick one. I I believe it said, new lover. And uh, like Ashley, I'm on that polytrain, and I think America should be too. There's how many countries are there's like 128 or something?
2: How can you pick one? So
8: I first of all I wanna point out just that fallacy right there, but um but I but I still want to defend Russia as our primary.
5: <laughs> you gotta break that escalator down, girl. <laughs> Primaries are a thing of the past. There ain't no hierarchy here. You're not gonna call me a second. I'm second to no one.
8: Man, I don't even know what to say. To that. <laughs> so I'm not going.
0: Yeah, this will work. Um, <laughs> Ashley, a crucial skill for any Cold War lover is edging. Getting right up to the edge, getting right up to there, and then stopping. Don't let it happen.
2: Yeah.
0: You need to keep up in the ante, though. It also gets boring. North Korea tends to go real far, though. How much further can they go? and
5: keep up the edging, what's the next move to spice up things in the war room? I mean, I think North Korea is the best at edging. (laughs) If what you're into is some real hardcore BDSM shit, and what the final result you want is like just bleeding everywhere. But, I mean, we're doing it. Like, we're getting there, we're like, oh, how, what if I just like, kinda like, mess with Japan a little bit? How does that make you feel? How, what if I just launch another missile that's just gonna fail? How does that make you it feel?
2: <laughs> it's
5: sexy, and we don't know what to do. Or We're just like, do we try to talk, diplomacy? Do we just like go with the military? We don't know. And that sexiness is, con- is just like confusing. But it's hot. It's hot when you're in bed and you're just like, ooh, I literally have no idea where this could go. That's my kind of sexy. And I think that's America's kind of sexy. You know, we get the just weird Donald Trump tweets. What is he going to say? We don't know. But then, like, Donald Trump's like, no, let's just go with the military. I'm not going to... You know, fuck China. Fuck South Korea. We're doing this. But then, the, you know, Congress is like, no, no, we're going to talk. And it's just... Ooh, I don't know. I don't know. That's that's the
0: ultimate edging. That's good. That's a good answer. You you did it. <laughs> Ray, you've just heard Ashley talk about this extremely erotic experience that New that North Korea can provide. What Russia's done hacking voting machines spreading fake news articles. That's some pretty petty behavior. It's like the international equivalent of logging into your uh, significant other's Facebook while you're fighting and, and, and posting a bad status. How do you react to this accusation? How are you going to defend your honor?
8: Which, which accusation? Which part of the <laughs>
0: That, 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 that your latest salvo against the United States was petty. Facebook hacking style.
8: <laughs> well, well, first of all, backing up to romantic prowess for a little bit, yeah, you yeah. know, I... Yeah. Russia's very well known for bears.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and,
8: and I think judging by the applause, that's all I need to say about it. Um, you know, you know. Uh, You know what? I think expecting your partner to be perfect is just an uphill battle. You know, Let whoever in the audience can say they've never been petty in a single relationship, throw the first stone, go for it. You know what? Because I'm not here to defend Russia as a perfect person. Russia's not even a person.
2: <laughs> I am
8: here to describe why Russia is the perfect lover. <laughs> and you know what? Yes. They can be a little bit petty sometimes or a lot, but you know. So can America and maybe that's what we re- we need right now, y'all. We need someone who can see us at our worst, and we can see them at their worst, and we've all got like shit coming out of our nose and more than breath, and we can look at Russia across the bed with more than breath and shit coming out of her nose and go, ah, beautiful. That's I think that's all we <laughs> need.
5: I just would say, like you know, yeah, you could have that, like waking up, drool on a pillow, or the just fiery, sexy, fast, just quickness of North Korea, and we're slapping you in the face. And there, there's, there's nothing. It's just right and immediate. Just you know, we're just sitting on your face and putting a butt plug up your ass and saying, take it now. Because if you don't, we're just gonna. Just push the button on this whole thing. Your choice.
1: Uh,
8: Brief rebuttal to that rebuttal. My opponent began with a good point about how we just kind of want this to be over already. Russia lasts longer.
5: (laughs) Existence is miserable and I just want to die. And I think you're all with me.
0: Thank you. <laughs> I have one more question for, for you, Ray, and then I'm going to ask a question I want you... But, actually, fuck the question I want you both to answer. You've answered it already. I just one more question, and it's for you. When and why are you going Russia? When and why are you going to finally release the EXTREMELY REAL P-Tape? Yeah. You'll know it when you smell it.
5: Nice, nice. I just wanna say, if, like, North Korea had a P-Tape, that shit would be everywhere. We <laughs> would've been like, we would've been like, yo, yo, Dennis Rodman, tweet that shit, tweet that shit. why like, tweet it, like, share that shit on Facebook. Like, if North Korea had the P-Tape, we all would have seen the PTA, and Donald Trump would not be
2: president.
5: Yeah. Uh, yeah.
0: I think we all agree that that was a very satisfying question and answer portion of the debate. Uh, Ashley, why don't you go ahead and give your closing statements.
5: It's okay. it's a, no, no, it's fine I wasn't a debate captain, president or anything. We do it different every time I'm not a nerd, I'm a cool kid I'm a cool kid, I didn't even bring notes on stage yeah. <laughs> uh, As I've said North Korea We're the fiery fun lover We're Aisha Thompson In that season of Friends Where Ross dates a black girl <laughs> And didn't you want that? because if you didn't, you're racist. (laughs) And that's North Korea. We're fun and we're exciting and who knows what's gonna happen. Hopefully it ends with just all of it being done for everybody across the board. I think that's what we all want here. Who wants more decades of Russia and their bullshit and their nonsense? And like, Vladimir Putin's not even like that hot. Like if he was like hotter, I'd be like, okay, but
2: like
5: you know what? Honestly, I'm over the bears. And I'm into otters. I twinks. I, I'm trying to think of like what Kim Don would be and I don't know if it's an otter or a twink. Twink is like he seems pretty hairless. Like an otter is younger but hairy, but like a twink is just hairless and he seems short. And he also likes to take pictures in factories where he's touching things he shouldn't be. So clearly he has a lot in common with our current administration. And I just think it's time for America to get something new and fun and sexy and just dangerous. It's time for us to just kind of pull up those big boy pants and be America again. We used to be America, we used to be running to Vietnam, do whatever. <laughs> yeah. what, what happened? Think about North Korea as our ho phase. Think of, It's 2017 and I'm celebrating my ho summer, just living my best life, taking on new lovers in America, it's time for you to do the same. Because Russia, you been had. You been had, it's fine, and it's comfortable, and it feels good, and you know that you're just both gonna keep edging each other, and it's not really gonna go anywhere you want it to. But North Korea is ready to take you somewhere. Thank you.
2: Hey.
8: Let's get real for a second. In a perfect world, America wouldn't be caught in bed with North Korea or Russia. Those are both some pretty fucked up relationships. But you know what? The United States of America is also really fucked up right now. Maybe what we need to shake us out of our funk is to live a little and swipe right on a bad boy.
2: Okay.
8: <laughs> like human rights violations level of bad. Cause that's where we're at too. Maybe what we really need to make us take stock of our lives and correct our course is to take a nice long golden shower and then stand back and think about how we got here. I want to draw Russia like one of my French girls. I want to stand outside Russia's house with a boombox and crank In Your Eyes by Peter Gabriel so loud that Sarah Palin can hear it from her house. just a girl standing in front of a federal, semi-presidential constitutional (laughs) republic asking it to fuck America and not fuck America over. Thank you.
0: Well, goodness. (laughs) What a debate. Of course, both Ashley and Ray were fantastic, but only one can be the victor. And what are they fighting for? Well, they're fighting for a whoosh. This delightful <laughs> skewer that has a little bobble on the end. <laughs> yeah. Like, this much, like, costs, like, a penny, but then this bobble makes it a trophy. Yeah. And the way we're going to do this is I'm going to ask you guys to applaud the person you think won, Uh, You can choose uh, funniness of jokes, compellingness of argument for your criteria. It doesn't matter. Who cares? And I'm going to need an impartial judge to determine who gets the louder applause. You, sir, would you like to be the impartial judge? Sure. Perfect. (laughs) If you believe that the winner of this debate was Ashley Ray Harris arguing for North Korea, please applaud now. Excellent. If you believe that the winner of this debate was Ray Goldberg, arguing for Russia, please applaud now. Ray, did you bring some ringers? Because that's totally legal. Like, please do. (laughs) (laughs) Who was the winner of this debate? Congratulations, Ray Goldberg, you are the winner. Thank you to both. That was (laughs)
2: fucking
0: (laughs) fantastic. That's it for the skewer, everybody. There's nothing more. That's all. (laughs) Uh, uh, If you like the skewer and are like, how can I give you money? We have merch. We have books that have the best skewer pieces of 2016. Uh, We have stickers and pins. We gave them away to great guessers of fake news, but you can also buy them for a dollar each. Also, if you like the show, uh, you can follow us on Facebook it, we're the Skewer on Twitter. L-Skewer. You can get on our mailing list right there. There's a, a fucking clipboard held up. If you're like, the writers were so good tonight. I don't want to give Tom and Erica any money because they're stupid, but I like the writers. You can put some money in our donation box. The donation box money goes directly to our writers. And um, Also, we do a fucking podcast. We've been recording this the whole time. We tricked you. You're on tape. You can find the podcast wherever podcasts are. You know, iTunes. Eh, eh. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, and you can listen to that You can listen to all the previous episodes It's good as shit Thank you all for coming We'll be back next month The first Wednesday of the month Uh, Erica will be hosting that one, not me So it's gonna be better Uh, Thank you so much for coming Bye Thank you for listening to the Skewer Podcast. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe to us on iTunes uh, and leave us a review. Or you could like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash or follow us on Twitter at LSkewer. You can also come to a live show every first Wednesday of the month at Cafe Mustache in Chicago. Uh, for more information or if you just want to perform in a future show, uh, you can email us at skewerchicago at gmail.com.